0: I
1: And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries here with you. A return guest today, a very guy I admire very much, Richard Gage, was the uh, founder and former CEO of Architects for Nine and Nine Eleven Architects and Engineers for Nine Eleven Truth, and he's now uh, the head of Richard Gage has as a podcast and videos under that are uh, called Richard Gage Nine Eleven Unleashed. Exclamation point! So he's still still seeking the truth about
2: this event, and uh, he's
1: always a pleasure to talk to. Richard, uh, great to be talking with you again.
2: Thank you, Don. Great to be here on your show. Um, I all excited about telling you about what we've been up to recently and where we're heading tomorrow. Well, great. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Let's. Why don't you tell us
1: what you've been up to recently and what what you uh, have going on for tomorrow? We'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah, well, um, as you know, uh, uh, and as you mentioned, I'm unleashed, which gives me lots of opportunity Mm -hmm. to speak outside the narrow spectrum of the topics that we uh, have addressed for 15 years uh, on the World Trade Center destruction. Uh, Your listeners may or may not know that uh, there are three high rises that collapsed on 9-11, including building seven. The third tower uh, that was not hit by an airplane, but came down symmetrically, smoothly, suddenly at free fall acceleration uh, uh, in the afternoon of 9-11 after witnesses heard explosions. So uh, what I've done is taken that presentation and I've packaged the excellent work of Kevin Ryan. And Kevin Ryan has focused on the parallels between the planned event 9-11 and the planned events that are going on now uh, uh, by big pharma and, uh, and uh, big tech, big media, big government, et cetera. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I presented that at the Advanced Medicine Conference in San Antonio this weekend, uh, hosted by Dr. Rashid Batar. He asked, he saw me in uh, Anarchapulco where we both spoke and he said, you know what? The alternative medicine community has to be aware of this because they're freaking out because all of a sudden, you know, we have COVID uh, starting two years ago and now we've got, uh, they've got, they don't have the context for this type of big planned event uh, like uh like they need in order to place it in, in and help people with their limited world view who aren't aware of these false flag operations. Uh, so I said, yeah, I'd be happy to come. Uh, I presented um, Kevin Ryan's, I had I distilled his excellent uh, 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 video speech on this subject uh, to a few uh, slides uh, and, we we now have it kind of um, codified and bulleted format where people can really pick it up uh, easier at a glance and and so uh, the the doctors uh, several hundred of them at least five hundred um, were uh, actually some of them were aware of it but so many of them I think half of them were kind of blown away by the information they were focused on the medical uh, tyranny that's going on <clears throat> and so and lies and 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 foreknowledge and and insider trading and drills that set up these false flag events uh so uh i was uh swarmed at the evidence booth and we sold out of everything we had uh, almost and it was incredible uh we we uh, have more interview opportunities now i'll be going uh this coming uh weekend to the National Fire Protection Association annual conference in Boston. And we will be presenting individually one-on-one from our evidence booth uh, about World Trade Center 7 and how it uh, has fallen suddenly, uh, symmetrically into its own footprint in under seven seconds. Well, if that can happen in a steel frame fire protected uh, uh, building, Uh, a high rise by a few small scattered fires. Well, that's a real problem for the firefighters because they routinely go into high rises that are on fire, set up their command bases on the first floor and fight the fires from that floor. Well, if the building can fall at free fall on top of them, uh, uh, then we have a real problem in our, uh policy of firefighting so we're presenting this dilemma uh this discrepancy between policy and this new behavior of buildings uh claimed by nist um which uh we call sudden building collapse it's a syndrome speaking yeah in <laughs> medical terms. yeah well i mean, be well
1: we know one of the most incredible things i think about 9-11 and i'm sure you've reiterated this point forever is that before September 11, 2001, no high-rise steel frame building had been known ever to collapse from fire. And since three did that day, as you mentioned, building seven, which was struck by nothing. And uh, since that day, none have. So what was what was so magic about that day? How, what is the explanation? Because since that time, haven't we had, like, I think there was a, a high-rise building in Russia and several other examples of, around the world. That burned for a long time and did not collapse. So, what is what is their explanation? Is it just the magic jet fuel that they use, or what is their explanation
2: for that? Well, um, that, that's one of the myths relative to the collapse of the twin towers. Of course, well, that jet fuel. Um, <laughs> there, there are all kinds of myths out there, such as all of a sudden, in the case of Building Seven, we have something that NIST claims is a progressive. Uh, collapse uh, initiated in this case of building seven in the northeast corner around column 79, which they falsely claim that fires were in that area for an hour and a half immediately before the collapse, causing uh, long span beams to expand, pushing a girder off of its seat on this particular column number 79. And then this ensuing, uh, progressive collapse uh, uh, on the east side of the building, and then this travels laterally across this football field long building. So, in uh, in 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 six seconds. Well, none of that. All of that is proven to be false. Every step of it, and we can go through it uh, methodically if you'd like. But we've proven this in our webinars. Uh, 9-11, an architect's guide, a three-part series that we do every week. Uh, It's it's up on our website. Uh, People can look at it very easily at richardgage911.org. And uh, also on our uh, landmark documentary film, uh, 9-11 Explosive Evidence, experts speak out, in which we've assembled 40 high-rise architects, structural engineers, metallurgists, chemists, physicists, controlled demolition experts, all laying out the completely fictitious account by NIST and what the evidence actually shows. Because while fires can't, a few small scattered fires, especially in the case of Building 7, can't possibly bring that building down symmetrically, at free fall acceleration, which means not one of those columns gave any resistance. Otherwise, the building would have slowed down, right? It's just right. very intuitive.
1: Well, it's amazing. And what I've, you know, I'm I'm writing, I'm finishing up Hidden History 3, my third volume of Hidden History. I'll have a lot more to say about uh and I'm gonna ask you some questions about some people and events in there as, as well. That, that I'm still trying to find out more about, but what I'm amazed at is that this jet fuel thing is it and I'm sure you are aware of this, the Naudet brothers the French brothers it took the film and they, they were the first ones I think to describe the damage in the lobby how people were on fire there and they didn't they didn't film it because they wanted to spare us uh, you know that, that scene but uh, of course left hand answer is how could anyone be you know injured or dying in the lobby when the uh, the plane truck 80 floors above and of course the answer is magic jet fuel but how did it possibly come down the elevator shafts and that fast? And so this, is, this is very close to, you know, in, in time to when the plane struck the building. What is it, how do they possibly explain how jet fuel could come down that quickly and cause this kind of damage in the lobby?
2: Well, uh, they get away with it because people don't use their critical thinking skills. Uh, even NIST acknowledges that 90% of the jet fuel burned up outside the building. The rest was gone in ten minutes. It burned up. Maybe there were a few drops that made it a uh, fourteen. Oh, so it's called 1, feet, uh, a thousand feet down a an elevator hoistway. You know how big elevators are. You know it would have mm-hmm. hit the sides of the 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 hoistway if not stopped, mostly by the elevator uh, cabs themselves. Uh, We're not talking about uh, hundreds of gallons of fuel that made it down there, maybe a few drops. But more importantly, what we what the firefighters describe, uh, more than 156 of them orally on tape, on record, the transcripts provided on The New York Times website are seeing explosions, multiple explosions at various levels of the building. Some say between floors 10 and 15. Others say other floors. They're seeing flashes of light. They're hearing a synchronized, uh, deliberate uh, uh, set of uh, explosions. One of them says, like, like when they bring down uh, a tall building with explosives. Boom, 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 boom. This is not jet fuel. Uh, and, and these 156 of them. It's absolutely incredible testimony. Yes. And guess what? This is this is before the collapse of the building. So what happens in the lobby is almost irrelevant compared to the evidence of explosions. Yes. Not not just trusting the words of the 156 first responders, uh, which we have on our on our. Uh, webinar, uh, but watching the films of the individual explosions occurring 20, 40, even 60 stories down from the point of jet plane impacts. And and many of these are occurring uh, before the, well, this is well before the the zone of destruction descent uh, down the building. So there are explosions in the basements of both buildings before the plane even strikes the building. This is proven by the seismic evidence, which NIST tries to claim is a result of the plane hitting the building, but which seismic uh, engineer, uh, 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 oh dear, did I forget his name? Uh, I did. Uh, a French seismologist, uh, expert on uh, mechanical waves and geology, 50 published peer-reviewed papers. He says, no way. That a plane hitting the building wouldn't even register 20 miles north on the seismic equipment. Uh, these un- the bell-like form uh, forms an impulsive uh, uh, source of energy like explosions. Uh, the, the the shock wave of the plane hitting the top of the building would have been deadened before uh, even getting down to the ground uh, in terms of a seismic wave, and so th- with Building Seven also, the seismic uh, evidence also points to the fact that there was an explosion, a major explosion, ten seconds before the building came down. Well, NIST says, oh, well, that must have been the interior uh, portion of the building that hit the ground. Well, the, the, if the interior of the building was falling apart 10 seconds before the exterior, then we would have seen massive uh, breaking up of granite panels and thousands of windows broken and the crumpling of the building. But the videos don't show that. There's a few dozen windows that break. Uh, as this building starts to come down. But uh, not, uh, not, not uh, so uh, anyway, NIST, NIST is on very, very uh, thin ice here uh, because we also know that the interior of the building comes down, uh, well, the West Penthouse and Screenwall drop only half a second prior to the overall collapse of this building, indicating that the core columns Underneath those major structures, all collapsed at once. All failed, uh, and so, uh, and that was six seconds after the East Penthouse, which all, which collapsed essentially at once. And then there's this six-second delay when nothing's happening, and then the, the rest of it. So it, it, the videos prove that NIST, uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Uh, is on very um, thin ice, uh, to, to be completely polite about it. Uh, they've been proven uh, fraudulent. And that's why the uh, organization, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, has submitted a request for correction, which NIST ignored uh, and, and which is now being sued uh, by AE-9-11 Truth uh, to correct their fraudulent report.
1: Right. Well, that's and you mentioned the uh, all the witnesses that heard explosions. I'm I'm amazed again just writing history. Three hundred fifty six or whatever it was. It's astounding, especially the firefighters, the people that were there consistently. There were there were report after report explosions, explosions. And Then of course they, as we saw in the JFK assassination, where you know people thought the shots were fired from the front, and they, as the narrative developed, they quickly go in line. Well, I was mistaken. Yeah. Know, they actually came from behind. Same thing here. Well, I thought they were explosions, but you know, actually, I didn't know. You know. This is They told me what happened. Uh, how many of these people, because I found trying to get a hold of these people years later, a lot of them um, don't seem like they're talking anymore. Have you talked to people like a Louis Cacioli? He was very outspoken, a firefighter. Do you Have you talked to any of these people in recent years, or have they kind of decided they're not going to talk anymore? Is any of them still outspoken? Okay.
2: There's a few of them that are outspoken. Um, some of them have passed away. All of them yeah. were subjected to dust. And and uh, yeah. I don't know, more. There, there's been more deaths since 9-11 of first responders uh, than on 9-11 uh, uh, altogether. I mean, thousands. So um, we've lost a lot of brave people like Rudy Dent, who was perhaps the most outspoken, uh, who... Uh, his um, he saw Building Seven going down. He knew it was uh, an explosive demolition. He was on the pile well, when it went down. Uh, he, he lost several people in the in the towers. He for twenty years he's he's been talking, uh, trying to talk to anybody who would listen. But the mainstream media is not listening. There's a level of censorship uh, that's extraordinary. Uh, Eric Lawyer, firefighter. Uh, who, who began uh, started the Firefighters for 9 11 Truth, which a website is still up firefightersfor911truth.org, I believe it is. And uh, it, it, from Seattle, firefighter, um, firefighting team, his captain, Raul Angulo, and I are going to Boston tomorrow to present this evidence and to talk to 5,000. Uh, National Fire Protection Association conference attendees about uh, this uh, third tower and how it should be radically changing the policies uh, in uh, of of fighting fires in high rises. Uh, so uh, they're they're talking, and um, th- there's a bunch more. But uh, granted that uh, me- these are serious. Uh, psychological wounds that all of the firefighters indeed most people in new york have as a result of the trauma of losing so many of their own and the threat of losing their pensions uh were they to speak out uh and uh join the millions in the 9 11 truth movement and
1: of course that's an understandable we can all understand that nobody wants to lose a pension and, uh, and that's a, that's held over the head of uh, the firefighters here and, and law enforcement and firefighters and other uh, cases as well. But I we need to, I, I want to touch, I feel like I have to touch a little bit on the well, last time, we, things have changed for you since we talked last, I think we talked right before the 20th anniversary, something like yeah. that, last year. And uh there's a couple of things on, but before we get to Spike Lee, I want to talk about that too, but you're no longer with 9-11. Uh, you're no longer with architects and engineers for 9 truth, which you founded. So just briefly, if you, just whatever you want to say about that, because you know, now you're something different. If you want however, what do you want to say about that? Because I'm
2: sure people are curious about it. Ah, okay. Uh, so this does start with uh, Spike Lee, actually. So okay. if, 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 this is an important story, uh, uh, an event. and certainly changed my life and my career not my career, but my, the path of it. Um, we have uh, the Red Pill Expo in, in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, where I had heard many doctors uh, speak out on the truth of what really was going on with regard to COVID. Um, I was deeply moved and awakened by the, this testimony and evidence. Uh, somebody at during a break in that conference put a microphone in my face and, and said, What do you think about COVID? Well, I was uh, emotionally disturbed by what I had seen, and I just laid it out there. Uh, and, and so I don't want to get you thrown off YouTube, so I won't say what I said, uh, because it got <laughs> me thrown off. I feel strikes. another
1: strike, Yeah, there's always a strike, but yes,
2: yeah. So it has to be edited out. But anyway, it wasn't very um, uh, cautious uh, about uh, my phrasing of what I thought was going on with the 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 uh, the sickness going around and the false solution to it <clears throat> that they were providing. So I uh, I said that, and it came up in Slate Magazine uh, and was used against Spike Lee. Because Spike mm-hmm. Lee had invited me to come to Brooklyn, to his studio, and present the evidence for two hours to him. Well, he was working on a, uh, uh, an, a, an HBO uh, s- series of episodes to be aired on September 11th last year. And he was going to package uh, my, uh, testimony, my evidence and, and presentation and the testimony of expert witnesses also and family members and he did that and he put it together in a half hour segment uh but when he let that be known to the media he got incredible uh backlash and then uh, slate magazine put these comments of mine uh in his face and he said um uh Uh, Well, the combination of the two probably tipped him over the edge because he was concerned about the lack of black representation in New York uh, getting vaccinated. Uh, He he wanted them to have equal opportunity. uh, And so he didn't see some of the evidence that I saw at the Red Pill Expo. Obviously, he had uh, uh, consumed the, the the propaganda from big pharma and big yeah. government and big media. So anyway, uh, he he told the media, I'm going back to the drawing room. Well, he took out the half hour at the end, which was supposed yeah. to be shown on September 11th itself. It's shame. Well, this yeah. was a big problem for us because this was our great opportunity to get this evidence before millions of people, the greatest actually. Uh, and so I took personal responsibility, not realizing that he it was the pressure from the media that really did it, um, not uh, our disagreement on the COVID issue, because uh, he came out later and he said, well, I was forced to, frankly. I didn't have a choice, is what he told uh, a magazine later on. Anyway, uh, it, this was deemed to be a big PR crisis uh, by our PR consultant at AE911Truth and uh the board was uh unwittingly r- overly reactive to that uh problem perceived problem yeah. and uh there was a big argument uh on our board and uh those of us uh voting uh against it lost against the motion to um to uh let go of the ceo because that was the advice the ceo has to go in order to Anyway, um, so I'm not there anymore. I'm starting all over from scratch. Uh, my email list of 80,000 uh, went down to about 500, and I've been building it back ever since. Oh, uh, we're geez. back up to 9,000 now. So uh, we're, we're, uh, we're doing our best. Uh, and we're, I'm now, though, able to bring on guests that I feel are important to the 9-11 truth movement. Which is the cross pollinization right. with the truth-tellers in the alternative media, uh, such as yes. uh, Dr. Andy Wakefield, Dr. Rashid Batar, uh, Dr. Kerry Maday, uh, uh, Doctors uh, uh, Larry Pavleski, and uh, Dr. Brian Artist, uh, Artist and uh, uh, Dr. Lee Merritt. Um, so. We're interviewing these, and they're interviewing me. Uh, uh, those that have podcasts, so we're we're cross pollinating now. These two truth fields that have had literally no uh, cross exposure like this. So well, there's then- great opportunities, and I'm speaking. You know, where I couldn't speak before as an AE nine eleven truth uh, advocate, uh, also, and saying things like bringing Kevin Ryan's uh, incredible uh, parallels. Mm-hmm. 9 uh, 11 uh, and COVID uh, to a much broader community.
1: Yeah, well, and that's, I, I, you, I learned something. I, I didn't know the full story behind that. But what you're describing, though, is a phenomenon I've talked about and written about for a long time. Because, you know, I, I came from the JFK assassination research. I mean, that's what started me down this path as a teenager. I worked for Mark Lane's group, Citizens' of Inquiry, back in the mid 70s. And uh, from there, it was, you know, one rabbit hole after another. But these things are connected. And I, it's, looks what's happened is you tried to mention something out to go outside the 9-11 field, which I guess our engineers wanted to stay just within that. But they, these things are connected. Because as you mentioned, you know, I, I call what ha- what has happened since 9-11, I say, I say we're living in America 2.0. And it was triggered by 9-11, the Patriot Act, the crushing of civil liberties. And we see now it just gets worse and worse and worse all the time. And so it's important to keep that these things, every time that one of these things happens and the reaction is to to stifle dissent and to correct civil liberties, we all suffer. Now we're at the point where we have uh, things where, you know, misinformation and disinformation. You and I, you know, can end up in a FEMA camp if they get their way because they're talking about a dis- an Orwellian disinformation governance uh, Bored or something like that, and I'm sure everything I say on the show and everything you say on your podcast is misinformation in their eyes. So we have to fight it. So I, I'm I'm glad that you're that you're you are fighting it, and it sounds like maybe you're freer to speak your mind now than you were before.
2: Yeah, clearly, uh, I, and I've brought on guests that, uh, uh, like uh, Dane Wigington, for instance, who who has exposed geoengineering uh, in yes. disguise. Uh, so uh, I'm not I'm not limited in what I can talk about. Um, I try to make some qualified judgments, but my judgment is different than many of uh, my listeners as well. So not everybody agrees on everything. There's a few right. people who don't think I should be talking about anything except the World Trade Center. Well, that was my area of focus at AE911 Truth. Now that I am unleashed, I can cross pollinate. And, and uh, if you will, wake up groups of people like the medical field right now, but also the geoengineering field, they, they many of them don't know, just don't have the information about 9-11. So they uh, are, are uh, carrying on the worldview that includes 19 fundamentalist hijackers bringing down those towers you know, without examining the information. Uh, and the 9-11 truth movement is, is you know, the first thing they hear uh, about uh, COVID, for instance, it, it is that it is a virus from a bat, which is <laughs> disproven six ways from Sunday, that uh, Fauci is a good fatherly figure who only has our best interest in mind. Um, so we combat, those myths with uh, the reality of the science that uh, we're not seeing uh, from the mainstream media at all. Uh, And and those, those doctors who do speak out and do who do give treatments to their uh, patient COVID patients that do work uh, are being disbarred, not disbarred what their licenses, medical licenses are, are being removed, such as Dr. Merrill Nass, whom we're going to be having on next week on the program uh so yeah it's i i I can do a lot of good for the world uh now and ae911truth is still doing what they need uh to be doing it's really important uh that they focus on the world trade center because they're targeting the academic community primarily and they're a source if you will that can be used for greater credibility because they're not tied to any number of conspiracy theories, uh, if you will, uh, uh, like I have uh, opened myself up to. So I'm taking more risks. They're staying in, in their, their tight knit uh, focused uh, area so they can penetrate deeper into the vertical market of uh, building professionals. And that's great. They should be doing that. Uh, but they, they're, as a result, they're not quite as busy as I am now. Um, and so they do need, uh, your support, uh, of your listeners now more than ever, uh, with my absence there. Um, uh, I, uh, I was the key figure, if you will, not just figure, but, uh, the one going around speaking, around the country and around the world 700 times in the last 15 years, 24 different countries. Um, so they don't have somebody who's capable of that level of, of um, uh, pre- presentation skills on the overall uh, 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 subject of the world trade center. I mean, you know, outside of simply explaining the engineering of, of world trade center seven and the twin towers but there's just so much more to it uh they, they they do need uh a a a replacement if you will for me and they don't quite have that yet uh they have uh, some great engineers who focus very well on limited topics uh but um
1: well, uh-huh. you know, just to, just the way, way to describe what happened there, it, it, it reminds me so much of what I've seen in the JFK assassination research community over the years where they, they're they so frightened where they say, well, the media, first of all, uh, the media discounts anything you say at all. If you say assass- JFK assassination is a conspiracy, they don't care why you're saying it. You're not going to have access and they're going to ridicule you. So you try to be more respectful and keep away from other theories. And that's what they... I said, that's ridiculous. They're not... They don't like you anyhow.
2: <laughs> the same thing with... <laughs> that's largely thing with, true, Don.
1: Yeah, the same thing with 9-11. If architects and engineers 9 truth... First of all, they weren't respected for 20 years. And you'd think architects and engineers would be the most respected people talking about the engineering of these buildings. They weren't respected. So they used something like that. Well, he's talking about that too. To, but they were ridiculing you anyhow. So I don't know why people... In the alternative media, why they don't understand that you've got to open your mind, and we, this needs to be a free speech issue, and it needs to be—you know—you can't stifle well, dissent. Well, that's too far. You can't go there. What do, what do you mean? I can question anything, and this should be questioned. Every element of the nine eleven story is absurd. From the fact that uh, these planes were flying around for like an hour and a half, or whatever it was—that that, uh, I think over seventy minutes—they knew it was headed for the Pentagon, and nothing was done now i don't know what should have been done but i do know they deployed planes like 60 some times the previous year alone and they didn't do it this time and we've how many trillions we spent for defense and yet they attacked the heart of the Arbor defense not to mention you know 9-11 the world trade center towers were brought down in very dubious fashion as you as you know by this magical jet fuel that's never been able to do it any other time in our history, just that one day. And of course, building seven is the wild card. How do they explain building seven? But they, when you bring up building seven to people, uh, the other side, do they even attempt to explain that? Because they, they can't, right? I mean, they're, they're, there's no jet fuel that could have done that. So what, what? what is their
2: rationale for that? Yeah, no plane hit building seven. So the rationale is that, um, interestingly, uh, it's ironic, actually, that uh, the steel beams that were ejected out of the North tower, which went 600 feet in every direction, trailed by thick white smoke clouds. The ends of them were on fire, molten (laughs) as it turns out to be uh, tests have shown, but so that lighted that, that impacted building seven and, Lit fires on the south side of Building Seven on a few floors. Well, uh, how did steel beams be ejected? In this case, Building Seven, 150 yards uh, uh, or so, a foot more than a football field, to hit the building, and 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 in 600 yards, in many cases, all around 600 feet, all around the the uh, world, both of the World Trade centers, an incredible lateral distribution of freely flying structural steel sections. So they blame that for the fires in Building Seven, but they don't provide any sort of explanation of how freely flying structural steel sections trailed by thick white smoke clouds. Uh, their fi- steel is, Steel members like this are not fireproof. Normal office fire, even with jet fuel, which only burns 500, 600 degrees in open air, according to the manufacturer of the jet fuel. There's no explanation of the extreme quantities and varieties of form of the molten iron, not molten steel, by the way, molten iron found in droplets by the U.S. Geological Survey. Billions of them, up to four tons of this stuff, up to 6% of the World Trade Center dust is previously molten iron microspheres. Well, how does all that happen? They document it, but they don't speculate where it all came from. The EPA calls it A signature element of the World Trade Center dust, but they have no idea where it came from. Well, molten iron is the byproduct of thermite. Thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. It produces 4,000 degree temperatures, which explains the extreme pools of molten iron. How do the spherical shapes get formed? Well, if you aerosolize a liquid, like out of a spray bottle, you get spheres. That's what surface tension does to uh, liquid uh, aerosolized particles. So uh, that's what uh, it can explain the toasting of the tops of the cars around the World Trade Center. Nothing else in the official story can in this yeah, extremely high heat uh, event. So uh, there's a lot that can't be explained uh, in the official story. And that's just the beginning. The other part of this, of course, is where do these spheres come from? Well, a team of eight international scientists led by Niels Herrett in Copenhagen finds small red-gray chips, red on one side, gray on the other, about a sixteenth of an inch long. They look like paint. They thought it was paint, but they're attracted by a magnet. So it has a high iron content. They zoom in with an electron microscope fifty thousand times. What do they find? Nanoparticles of iron oxide and aluminum powders at the nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. So what? Where did these? Where do these come from? Um, uh, they they are particles of nanothermite. This was developed by Lawrence Livermore Lab, uh, well before nine eleven. They're called superthermites. It's an incendiary engineered to become more explosive because they're set in a a matrix of oxygen, silica, carbon, organic material, which expands rapidly when it's um, uh, under ignition uh, environment. So what happens when they put these chips in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter? They ignite producing what? Molten iron microspheres. With the same chemical composition as the molten iron microspheres found in the World Trade Center and documented not only by the U.S. Geological Survey, but by R.J. Lee, an environmental consulting firm. So we know exactly where those spheres came from. Four tons of them. uh, Evidence of ignited nanothermite. They came from these chips of unignited nanothermite. They're even found attached to partially ignited red-gray chips. So we we have I, enough evidence paper to put away a lot of people for mass murder and treason in the crime of the century Don.
1: <laughs> well we, 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 that's what we would all love to see that I, I want to get to some of these questions. Can you see on the screen the question from freely speaking? yeah is that showing up to you? Yeah okay I, I don't I'm not sure what he's talking about there. Do you understand the question?
2: Yeah um, the questions about pyroclastic flow this is an extremely yeah. hot. Uh, flow of gaseous and smoke-filled and um, even uh, solid particles that are expanding rapidly in cauliflower-shaped forms out of a volcano Uh, and due to the incredible heat. Well, this is what we see in all the photographs and videos in all three World Trade Center skyscrapers. It takes an incredible amount of heat, a lot more heat than the few small scattered fires in Building 7 and the Twin Towers, uh, which were surely extinguished by the mechanical action of the collapsing buildings. So where is all this heat coming from? Well, it's coming from somewhere inside the pile. And uh, it's, it, it, this is what the, the evidence that we've just been discussing for thermite, this is what thermite does. It produces 4,000 degree temperatures. And if you place uh, shaped cutter charges uh, and, uh, with thermite, and there are patented devices using thermite to, uh, to cut through much thicker sections of steel uh, patented before 9-11, much more efficient uh, using thermite, actually, um, though it's less common, certainly. Uh, but it wouldn't provide the loud uh, bangs and the bright flashes of normal controlled demolition charges like C4 or RDX. Uh, it would be much softer. Uh, so we don't have the loud bangs, uh, the audio signature and the visual signature of those. But they gave us a different set of evidence, molten iron in pools seen flowing down the channel rails by the first responders seen uh coalesced in these fused molten iron they called them meteorites that were pulled up out of the pile uh seen in as evidence in the molten iron microspheres that we talked about so uh yeah the 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 evidence of pyroclastic flow is the byproduct of thousands of these uh charges if you will thermite based charges going off
1: I put I put another question on the train part you can see that from Chris about the uh, Yeah I'll read mini it or you micro nukes.
2: okay does Richard, <laughs> does Richard think any mini or micro nukes may have been involved uh I don't see uh the evidence for this I'm not a nuclear physicist but Stephen Jones is he's analyzed this uh this evidence as as called uh presented by others and he he he's done a paper on it and there's a a, a 40 page uh, and a 2 page uh FAQ on the website over at ae911truth.org that people can refer to that um uh points out, among other things, that nuclear weapons provide an extremely bright flash, uh, brighter, way brighter than the sun ever could be, um, at the, as we look at it with our own eyes. And the a, a very, very loud bang uh, that would be much larger and much more radiation than uh, is cited by the individuals supporting these hypotheses. Also, what we see in the videos is multiple explosions at a smaller level, floor by floor, that we present in our video, in our uh, webinar, 9 11 An Architect's Guide. You can watch it free on YouTube. Well, it's on our website, very easily found at richardgage911.org. And also on our documentary, um, 9 11 Explosive Evidence, Experts Speak Out, also on the website. So uh, that's what. uh, uh that's what we think about that subject. Now, I, there was a question
1: earlier that I missed. I don't know where it is now, but uh, have you ever uh, spoken to or do you know Christopher
2: Bolin? Yes. Uh, Chris Boleyn uh, ha- has been presenting for years uh, f- yeah. uh, about the findings in his book, uh, Solving 9-11. He points to foreign influence uh, in yeah. the planning and execution of of Come 9-11. Ahead. And uh, that's an important subject that uh, everybody should be aware of in their research efforts.
1: Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you, but now again, researching this, one
2: person I've been trying to get a hold of is April Gallup. Have you ever talked to April Gallup? No, but I know uh, people who have, uh, and she sued the uh, yeah yes Bush administration and the Pentagon because she was inside the Pentagon when the event yeah. happened, and she. Uh, believes that the evidence uh, shows that there were explosions inside the evidence, excuse me inside the Pentagon and that there yeah. was no evidence of a plane. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of controversy in the 9/11 truth movement about whether a plane did or did not impact the, the Pentagon. I just hosted a conference and brought those key players together, uh, including uh, David Chandler, uh, Craig McKee, uh, Barbara Honiger, and yeah, Barbara their associates. Honiger. Uh, And it was a fascinating um, treatise by each of them, had an hour and a half to present, took questions from the other presenters, and then at the end, took questions from the audience. It was uh, 12 hours all together, (laughs) an amazing uh, conference all in one day, a grueling uh, uh, piece, but very well put together uh, on our platform, richardgage911.org, and you can find it right there at the top of our website.
1: Fantastic. How about uh, Timothy Morley? Are you familiar with him? No. Well, he, he, well okay. He's, I to, he, this This is a guy really unknown. My, and R- Chris Graves is in the chat room and helps me out with research. Uh, he found the story about this guy and he encountered a very strange guy inside, Middle Eastern guy, I think, inside the, the Twin Towers. He was like, Walking around with a stuffed animal, acting very strangely, and the supposedly the FBI. Or somebody told him afterwards to forget the story, and so he's just kind of about it. I thought you might know him. I'm trying to tried to find him, but these people you can't. April Gallup, who was talking all the time, sued the Bush administration. I can't get her to answer her phone now.
2: How about Kirk? No, no, gone. She's gone a little dark because she had a lot of very traumatic. Yeah, I can uh, only imagine as a result of her efforts. So uh, she. She, she's very again. Uh, careful about who she talks to.
1: I can only imagine. How about Kurt
2: Sonnenfeld?
1: His story's incredible.
2: Well, Kurt is uh, a, a FEMA photographer who uh, was on duty, yeah. uh, brought in with the FEMA team. I believe he was brought in with the other uh, hundreds of FEMA team for a drill tripod yeah. two, I think it was called uh, or tripod uh, where they were brought in the day before nine 11 and set up right near the World Trade Center, uh, and they went into, T- Tom Kenny, uh, I think it was Tom Kenny, uh, 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 said they went into action the next day. They were all on board with a drill in advance, ready to take control of the project at the fe- from the federal level the very next day. Oh, excuse me, back yeah. to Kurt Sonnenfeld. I think he was with that team. Uh, he uh, has photographed, the vault down below building six, which the was gold was. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Um, I don't yeah. think he knows, but it was mm-hmm. an empty vault uh, emptied before the I think he, he he's either proved or speculates that it was emptied out uh before the uh the, the collapse of the buildings uh or before the planes hit. Um anyway he was Telling more truths than the federal government was comfortable with. Um, So he was charged with murder of his wife, which he says this this is a frame up. I didn't do this. So he fled to Argentina.
1: Absolutely. I I think he's still in exile there. Very, very hard to get a hold of this. There's so many. And you know, we had like uh, you had Wendy Burlingame, whose father flew one of the jets, who died in a very mysterious fire. And you had Sandy Dahl. Whose husband flew another of the jets that died at a very young age of unknown cause? Do you know anything about either of those people? There's a lot of deaths associated with this. It. Just like wait, wait are you saying
2: like they, they they flew what plane? The plane that hit no, the towers? Yeah, the they, no, towers. Sand, Sandy Burlinghant
1: games. I think her uh, father flew the plane that hit the Pentagon. I think.
2: And Sandy Dahl... Oh, wait, wait. I, I, I thought fundamentalist hijackers flew the plane. So you're confusing well, me now. Oh, you're well, saying well, they, were the,
1: the, they were the pilot that was on board that was taken over.
2: Oh, I see. I, I'm with yeah, you yeah. now. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I don't know them. I don't know their story. I would love to be in touch with them. If anybody can put me in touch with them, I'll have them on the show. Richard gauge Nine Eleven Unleashed. Uh, I have got a lot of people that I want to have on this show. And it's, we're very busy booking. Uh, people uh, yeah. were, were pretty booked out.
1: Yeah, well, and there, there a lot of these people are hard to get a hold of. I, I was able to talk to Scott Forbes, who was you know, scheduled to work in the nine eleven towers, and he'd he moved to England. I talked to him years ago before he history, first hit history.
2: And uh, do you have contact he, info for him, Don? I would love to get Scott Forbes on our. Show,
1: I I, but... w- I will. I'll, I'll see if his, I'll find his email, and uh, hopefully, it's been years, but I assume it's still there. But
2: uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I well, would, it might I still be good, there. and he might still be willing to tell his story. Scott was. Uh, in the tower, uh, working for a financial firm, uh, he got word that uh, they were going to uh, shut down the power in the, yeah. believe it was the top half of the south tower, uh, yeah. for some unknown reason. All the security would be down, uh, complete power shutdown, completely unprecedented, and he had to work very hard to secure his his uh, uh, computer systems. Uh, for that event, and he said there were people brought in with cables and and uniforms of some kind. Um, uh, that's what I'm aware of. Uh, do you have? Any well, and and, and, and and
1: well, and he was he wasn't there that day. Thank goodness for him. But he, uh, as he said, he afterwards because they had seen all this stuff going on. His whole team had in the I guess the week a couple weeks leading up to 9/11 things they had never seen before these kind of you know, construction and the security cameras won't work all kinds of strange things they weren't used to he thought that, that was relevant so he tried to interest law enforcement nobody was interested later he tried to contact the 9-11 commission they weren't interested and of course they in their their rumors section they said there were no mysterious power outages and, and the people that worked there scott forbes and his team knew firsthand better than any of these other people that there were mysterious power outages and that's the way these things go that's why they're, they're nothing is ever investigated it's, it's uh it's very disillusioning you know I, I don't
2: know the, that's one of the key power parallels between 9-11 and covid there's no real investigation uh yeah no. uh or it's completely fraudulent and covered up uh, as in the case of the, the the bat origins um it's it's a narrative that's put out there and and uh they they just whitewash uh, the, the actual facts that present uh, a different uh, uh, conclusion to that narrative.
1: Absolutely. Have you been in contact with it? You know, remember we did a show, it's been probably three years ago or so now, at least, uh, with Kevin Shipp, my old buddy Kevin Shipp. Are you in contact with him at
2: all? We did a show together about 9 11. No, no. If you've got his contact information, I would love to get Kevin back on. He's a hero. Who was a uh, CIA yeah. officer? Am I correct? Yes, yes, he was, and he still is. Yes, a he know. and he's, st- hes an ex-CIA officer. He's—he's he's blowing the whistle. Now let's let's yes, get him on the show too.
1: He's a big whistleblower. We, he and I—I I hadn't seen him the last time I saw him was uh, right before this uh, <laughs> this virus hit, and that was I think probably in February of 2020. Uh, where he had a, uh, he gave a presentation at a restaurant near me and I got up there and spoke to, and uh, it was a reunion. We hadn't seen each other probably for God, 50 years. So <laughs> it was because uh, we went to elementary school together. So it's pretty amazing. Both of us ended up going down that path, by a different, uh, different route. I certainly was never uh, in, in the CIA, but he's, uh, he is a courageous guy. And we talked to I, went to, I talked to both you and Kevin, the price that Whistleblowers pay because you're a whistleblower too, and I I ask everybody this because I know how my family is. I mean, my family's intact still, but my family in large thinks I'm nuts, and I've pretty much been canceled, especially because I'm not vaccinated. How How is your family? I know you you had talked about just like Kevin uh, that you did experience. You know, you didn't have the support when you first started becoming going out into the nine eleven field. How How has that gone for you as far as family support now?
2: Um, I, I don't have too much feedback that's negative from, from my family. I don't have any really, um, uh, extended family. I've taken on some, some criticism, uh, there, uh, uh, cousins for instance. Um, but, um, it, it, not everybody has the time, the willingness to look into the facts. Right. Because, you know, these facts, whether it's 9-11 or COVID, when, when we look at the alternative facts, it changes, it adjusts our worldview, our psychology can't uh, uh, catch up, it's a matter of survival, We're, we need a consistent world view to operate in the world and something that comes out of left field, like 9 for me in 2006, when I hadn't heard no alternative theory as to how uh, the towers might have come down. I was literally in shock as I was hearing David Ray Griffin on the radio in the San Francisco Bay Area on my way back from the uh, construction observation meeting. And uh, he was being interviewed by Bonnie Faulkner talking about uh, beams on fire uh, ejected out of the towers, a third tower that came down that I knew nothing about. Um, uh it went on and on through the evidence that we've been talking about, uh, scratching the surface of today. But uh, all of a sudden, I'm saying, my God, this can't be true. If this were true, uh, uh, up would be down and down would be up. Uh, uh, I, I'm an architect. I would have known if a third tower came down. But it sounded credible enough, and he didn't sound like a loony tune. Um, he's now written 14 books on this subject. Uh, but the next day he was speaking, uh, at the Grand Lake theater in Oakland. And I had to go and see if this is true or not. I had to go find this building that I heard about on the radio, uh, that he said looks exactly like a controlled demolition. Only it wasn't hit by a plane, you know, and 47 stories tall. I had to see yeah. it. Anyway, uh, my world changed radically because I was a Reagan Republican. I was ready to go and get those bastards in Afghanistan and Iraq that did this to us. I I did not want uh, uh, to believe anything he was saying. And yet, piece by piece, my my worldview came sort of crumbling down. Uh, it, it, It was really, really, really uncomfortable. And the same thing happened although I was probably more prepared by the time COVID came around. Uh, and I, I don't blame my cousins for, for not being aware or not wanting to be aware even of alternative evidence that would co- cause their worldview to come crashing down. It's extremely painful. So I plant seeds, but I don't try to convince anybody of anything. That's not my job. My job is to bring the information to those who are willing to listen. Uh,
1: absolutely. Well, you're doing a great job of it. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Why don't you uh, tell the people and uh, promote
2: anything you want to promote. Tell the people how to find you. You bet. Um, come and find us here at richardgage911.org. Org. All the information is there. Sign up on our mailing list so that you can uh, get our latest evidence, our latest efforts toward or getting a real investigation. Our collaboration with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. We're making a film, 9-11, uh, uh, Crime Scene to Courtroom. We're bringing the evidence to court with uh, Mick Harrison, litigation director. Uh, and we've already got this 60 exhibits of all this evidence submitted to the U.S. Attorney for a Special Grand Jury Investigation. Now we're making a film about it, and we need your support there also.
1: Well, it sounds good. You're doing a great job. I I respect very much what you do, and I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, we'll talk again soon, Richard. Keep up the good
2: work. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it so much. See you next time.
1: Thanks thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. (laughs) You bet. Okay. Okay. All right, folks, that was Richard Gage and be, I hope you guys enjoyed that discussion. 9 is always a hot topic here. Tony, can we open up the phone lines now? That's what we typically do sure, in Don. the second hour here.
3: Yeah, we can open up the phone lines. Uh, let yeah, me yeah. get that plugged in for you and I'll uh, I'll come back to the stream. Maybe about two minutes. Okay. Sounds good.
1: All right. So um Lots of comments in the chat. We're good, good to see you all here. Uh, I'm looking at White Wolf. Um, Chris Buckhan, obviously Chris Graves, Houston, uh, Michelle Robinson, Alan Holman, old friend back from TFR days, oink, oink. Anybody? William Hale from Australia, love that. I think, I think Freely Speaking, too, is from Australia, too. Is that my old friend, Ben? Australian Ben? I'm not sure. Could be um lots of good points i appreciate that in the chat room uh, we got to a lot of the stuff i mean 9 11 is a huge issue and uh, there's so much we can talk about just one aspect of it. hopefully tony will tell me what's uh, going up in rockton since i still can't seem to access that chat room correctly Here sure we have people over there as well So, and just a little bit, you know, Richard also was, uh, he came on with very short notice because I I was originally supposed to have um, Stephanie Sledge, who is a researcher I've had on, uh, not since I started doing it here, but I've, I don't know, I protested a couple times before, and and I, I am a huge fan of hers, and she doesn't get much attention in the alternative media. She's a really good researcher. Nobody's done. about Sandy Hook, and I wanted to get her impressions of the Evaldi shooting. She let me know just a, a very a terrible personal tragedy that happened in her family. So I had I had to scramble for guess, and Richard was kind enough to come on. So that number is 888-770-1776. I love that 1776. Again, 888-770-1776, if you want to call and talk about anything. And um, there's uh, the great Tony Arduburn, giving on producing this show and uh, the man behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, you know, Tony, next week, we're I, I think we have lined up one of your biggest fans. I, I used to be her uh, idol, I think. But now I think you're in a hurtable and I let's Lisa Belanger. <laughs> so he's going to be coming on and talking great. about that. Yeah, she, she's really cool. She's very just so enthusiastic and she's uh, she's very supportive. So good energy. She, Yes. Great energy. And she loves us both. So she's thrilled to be coming on. That'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, trying to line up all these people, but I, I was, uh, you know, obviously the shooting I've written about that, which is just, you know, absolutely, it just continues to amaze me, but these things and somebody early on, I think it was Chris Buck and said, Don, Don, has there had any, any shootings today? <laughs> it's, I think there, I mean, it's like every day now. It's like, wasn't there, I think there was one in a church parking lot, supposedly, today. It's like, I mean, and there was one in the uh, the hospital, the other, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, um, ever increasing. Absolutely. Chris says, do you know the story about the golden Victoria Peak? Is it in any of your books? I do not, Chris. I don't know that one. You'll have to... Uh, It's tied in with the UFO thing, and White said, "Well, I I may be writing a book about that kind, especially now. Hopefully, I can I would be able to get the book out before Project Bluebeam hits. That's what they're planning, (laughs) because I think I think the fake alien invasion's right on the corner, because they're they're suddenly giving that uh, new respect. But uh, so, Tony, you got a chance to read. I sent you my article. I you know I I was writing today, but uh, because I just whenever these things happen, there's a there's a courts in the media and everything. Do something, you know. We have to, we have to do something, and that something always is something bad. It's never anything good. <laughs> There's a lot that needs to be done. You know, I'm looking at my roads and streets, and and uh, the infrastructure needs to be rebuilt. Uh, we need to to do something about uh, restoring small business and so many things that we need to be, have done. But uh, we know what that do something is, and I I was reading on the guy like productions uh before the show that apparently this guy who I've never heard of, there's so many Congress people that have been there for years that I, I don't follow as closely anymore. Um, uh, that I've never even heard his name is like David Cicerelli or something like that. I don't know. But he supposedly during Matt Gates was uh bringing up something about the Second Amendment, and he supposedly said, I don't want to hear any bullshit about constitutional rights. <laughs> this is the guy that's sworn to uphold the constitution and I've I remarked many many times before that this is a situation I think probably unprecedented in the history of the world, where we have leaders that openly mock what they're sworn to uphold. They don't even pretend to support the Constitution, and yet that. So why do I mean it's amazing? Did you hear about that?
3: Uh, No, I didn't hear about that exchange, but I was actually talking about that same line of logic on my show earlier today talking about how we have leaders that don't again they swear to uphold the constitution and protect it and all the rest but you go back to the 90s don and and i know you're familiar with this but the secretary of state under bill clinton was strobe talbot for a while strobe talbot was the secretary of state and he said that the nation state is irrelevant so i mean Again, these two—they're holding the position of Secretary of State of the United States of America, and then somebody says that the nation state is is irrelevant. And I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, the Constitution's irrelevant to these people. We're irrelevant today's Bilderberg. By the way, um, I titled my show uh, "Banksters Build Back Bilderberg." So they're they're just—they're (laughs) always, no matter what, Bilderberg. Uh, we'll, I get Bilderberg and the the cockroaches will survive, uh, the, the, uh, incoming new oh. that they're designing.
1: Oh, that must be, it must be an exciting time to be a Bilderberger because they're like rubbing their hands with glee because man, there's so much, there's so many things. What do you talk about at the Bilderberg meetings now? Yeah. You know, you like I mentioned <laughs> project blue beam and you got the, obviously the COVID narrative and you got maybe monkeypox. I mean, you got so many things they could talk about. One shooting after another, uh, world war three.
3: You I got a call, Don.
0: Okay, great. Go ahead.
3: Welcome to I Protest with Don Jeffries. You're on the air.
0: Hey, this is Tom Cooper. Hey, Tom, how are you, gentlemen, doing today?
3: Good to hear from you, sir. How you doing?
0: Um, I just want to ask Don a question. Next time he has Sean Stone on, if he could ask him about the conspiracy queen. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, what? she has a lot of stuff that's supposed to be dropping. And Sean Stone had her
3: daughter on. Cool. We'll have to check that out. I'm not aware of that. I guess that would be the conspiracy okay.
0: princess. Well, ask him about it next time. You Sean got it. Stone. Okay. You got thank it. you, sir. I'm you it have down. a good
3: weekend and be safe out there. You too, Tom. I'm mm-hmm. writing it down. Put it on the show thank notes. You, sir. Okay. Thank Thanks, you. Conspiracy.
0: Brother. Queen.
1: Thank sure. you. Well, ho- well, hopefully, we can get Sean Stone back after the, the fiasco with my technical difficulties last week. I, I have. Uh, you know, communicated with him a few times since then, but uh, so I think what he's okay. You? But yeah, that's what. So the conspiracy. So he must have had the conspiracy princess on then, If there's a conspiracy queen, I, I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> the daughter of the conspiracy queen. Uh, one would think John could get the conspiracy queen herself. I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know that that's. We didn't really get into it with Sean because the technical difficulties were so bad, but the last time I spoke to him, I got the sense he was still kind of believing in the QAnon stuff. I I don't know if he does now, but uh, so that could have easily changed because that was probably right after the election. And now I think, at this point, I guess there are still people that believe in that, but uh, it's, you know, it's
3: it's amazing. Uh, I see, I see Q people. I see, I'm like the sixth sense. I see the Q people. They yeah. walk in. Uh, they tell me that they have it on good authority that, uh, and then they'll start, I go, mm-hmm. wait a minute. What are you talking about Two, I mean, more, two more weeks. More, two more. Yeah. Weeks. The, the Durham. And Michael, time. Yeah. Well, and, and then we, need,
1: we need to talk about one that because I mean, I, I, you know, I write for American free press and, uh, three articles, every issue. So you can, you can catch my work there as well. And, uh, I had written about the, uh, the Sussman trial, the last issue. And, I, and again, I don't make any predictions. you know that. I don't like to predict, but that was an easy prediction to make. And, you know I think I think it's very little chance that Sussman's going to be convicted. And keep in mind that federal prosecutions, it's it's really a formality. It's, it's a mockery of justice. When someone is prosecuted at the federal level, it's like a 95 percent conviction rate. It's almost impossible to lose that. But in this case, I knew that it was going to be a 95 percent chance that, that he'd be exonerated because, get the, the jury pool. And this is the problem you have when people talk about draining the swamp and prosecutions. Most of the prosecutions of these Washington, D.C. villains would take place in Washington. D.C. You're dealing with a jury pool that's 90 plus percent Democratic voters. Uh, they're they're not they're predisposed to like the Hillary Clintons and Joe Bidens of the world you're never, or even Hunter Biden's, you're not going to be able to convict any of these people in D.C. Now, you might be able to in another, like, Durham um, has another trial coming up in my neck of the woods in Virginia, in the fall with, uh, I think, a Russian guy. And it's possible because it's a Russian guy, and maybe they'll throw him a drum. They might throw him a bone, because it's not going to matter at all. And not that even Sussman would have mattered, but this is Hillary Clinton's former lawyer. They could easily throw those people into the bus, but they wouldn't even let that happen. I mean, and the, I think it's symbolic as, as to show, see, it's a big nothing burger. They couldn't get any convictions. And then I, uh, you know, I was at uh, at Naomi Wolf's uh, book launching party the other day at the Will. It was very, you know, and I was shocked when she invited her good friend Don Jeffrey. She invited me to it. And I was very gratified, and because uh, I obviously a big admirer of her and i had never been to the willard hotel it's a very historic place you know that's the only time i'll ever be there so it's like the only time i'll ever read ruth's Chris steakhouse is when john barber came to town years ago and treated me <laughs> so i can't afford their prices so it's nice to go to those places one time but you know very ritzy and um but one of the people i got to meet peter mccullough uh dr peter mccullough it was nice and uh um, Peter Navarro was there, who I wasn't sure who that he was. I was trying to text my son from there and say, who is this guy? I, I've heard of him. But um, the next day he got arrested for uh, at, at an airport because uh, I guess they, I'm not sure what it is, but again, it's it's, it's, it's this one little crumb they threw at Durham. Yeah. The guy Sussman is exonerated. And then the next day they go after a Trump associate again. So
3: it's yeah, not that Trump... Real contempt of congress i think i read that headline and i think i just want to interject on that i think the whole thing with this charade uh don is two words billable hours i mean they yeah. just I mean, they have something to billable hours for it's really not about justice or conclusions or anything with the 2016 election. just billable hours they can Again, you, you kind of know the outcome, like you've written about 95% sure you bet on that. It's going to be, uh, an acquittal, but there's, there's, t- I mean, probably hundreds of thousands, thousands, millions of dollars being passed through law firms. So yeah, billable hours. Uh, I want to tell you also Don, you have uh, no voter ID on Rockfin, uh, tipped $5. And then I'm going through the chat uh, here. Uh, Leslie, that's Erickson, wonderful. uh, Leslie Erickson on Rockfin, um, uh, what about all the gold that was moved before the event? Talking about 9-11, how many yeah. accounts that, that were wiped out before the day? And well, of course, the insider trading too. That's just me talking, but uh Leslie brought that up. Yeah, that the, the gold is um, was is interesting and uh that was covered in a book um The Killing of Uncle Sam. Uh Rodney Howard Brown uh, put that out. Really good book. And uh, uh I think you you could be able to write about that as well, Don.
1: Yeah. Old. No, no voter voter ID. Is that the, the young guy that we talked to a couple weeks ago and, and tips us all yeah. the time? Well, I can't tell you. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I, that, that you keep doing that. And uh, that's what, obviously it's very much appreciated.
0: So thank you. No you voter got ID. Call,
3: we also have a call, Don. Uh, you're on with Don right. Jeffries. Go ahead, caller.
0: Hello, Don Jeffries. This is uh, uh, Sirk Savarg. How you doing? <laughs> oh yeah, he can't hear me. That's right.
3: He can hear um, you. He right. can hear
0: yeah, you. I can hear you. <laughs> yeah, no, but I can't hear him. I forgot all about that. Um, no, I had something to add about the uh, the witnesses. Um, the one, anyone listening right now, if they really, if they really want to find something really odd with nine eleven. Uh, Look up the witness statement, the oral history um, of Patricia uh, Androvic, O-N-D-R-O-V-I-C. She was an EMT worker that was trying to escape uh, the collapse of the first building. And she actually tried to take cover in building six. And there were like Secret Service type fellows blocking the door and they told her to beat it. in that moment, mm-hmm. and right behind them, she could see these flashes of explosions all um, on the ceilings, almost like flashbulbs from uh, an old-time camera, all, like, ringing around the whole ceiling, like, uh, blowing up. So she she witnessed uh, something really odd there, and she also witnessed, um, she actually got injured by uh, some exploding cars, uh, some of those toasted cars later on. And she also mentions that she saw people like walking around that were on fire and stuff that yeah, were nowhere yeah. near the building. So that's food for thought. She can't really be found either now. But uh yeah, that's about it. Good interview, guys.
3: Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Great. Thanks for calling in.
1: That's great. That's, uh, that's Chris Graves, Chris Graves is becoming a celebrity himself, by the way. He's in he's in great demand. He's doing interviews now, he's becoming the go to expert on the Kirk man's death. So uh yeah. great for him. I'm he, glad he's to see him
3: out he's a great researcher. Yeah. He does great on, great on the broadcast. Yeah. So,
1: yes, see. he does. He's he's a natural and he uh he just he's he's has encyclopedic knowledge. Almost everything. He you does, know when yeah. Sally really
3: impressed.
1: Yeah, yeah when Sally Kirkland was on my other show uh, a couple weeks back he he had his fingertips he had all this information about her. You know, it's amazing. So He's uh, I, I can't thank him enough, Chris Graves, uh, one of the three searchers, along with uh, Bob Wilson and Peter. We're C. going to be doing
3: Chris and I are going to be doing some shows together. I on my podcast channel, I, I've got up called Paratruther, and uh, he's agreed to come on and do some deep dives. And we're going to have you on, uh, hopefully <laughs> the next the next episode that we do.
1: Yeah. So, oh, I, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, because I know he wants to have the uh, that uh, that uh, Columbine witness. On. Columbine, yeah. Yeah, which would well, that's that sounds very exciting because again, these most of these people don't talk. I, uh, I just this week you know I've been and Chris gives me so many of these names and numbers of these people and uh, I, I've already said like 90 plus percent of them the numbers have been disconnected and like an April Gallups case, Gallups case it's a little different where the number is just busy for two months I don't know what that means but it means she doesn't want to talk to anybody obviously after she was talking but I actually got through to uh okay Kay Elliott I think her name is she was a um, a woman that was working at Logan International Airport the day of the hijacking. And uh, she uh, talked, she mentioned about how uh, this 21-year-old girl, and I'd heard a rumor about it, 21-year-old girl who actually checked the hijackers in later committed suicide, heard. But I, so I was shocked when she answered the phone. I said, like, wow, I can't believe that she was, you know, she talked to me, but she completely believes the official story. Sees nothing there and she could, can't remember the girl's name. I
0: don't remember her name.
1: I said, okay.
3: Mm. You had well, another $5 tip on Rockfin from Faded Reality. It says, cheers.
1: Oh, thank you. And Faded Reality, I know, has done that before too. Thank you. Thank you, Faded Reality. Thank you. Thanks, everyone that does that. It's very, it's wonderful. First of all, it's great. It's nice to see all the participation in the chat room. Chris Bucket is that. very, uh, very uh, active.
3: Yes. Good. Oh, yeah. I was going to say. So, uh, sorry, Don. We we have uh, Tom in the uh, Rockfin chat. He says, "What year did they knock off Uncle Sam? Eighteen hundreds? I think. Uh, I think it was a mortal <laughs> blow on nineteen thirteen. I think that's about. Uh, that's when Uncle Sam uh, was put into hospice, in my opinion.
1: Well, well, you know, I, uh, what I would I would phrase that differently because the Uncle Sam character, and I've talked about this before, was uh, a creation, and I think he was created uh, before, right before World War One to maybe it might have been 1898 but certainly uh thomas jefferson and the other founders would have been mortified at this uncle sam character the uncle sam wants you because that, that that's actually kind said i'm a big government we want you you know it's like what <laughs> you know, keep your hands off me that's why we fought this revolution right but the uncle sam character was created i think to uh and uh, transformed wrapped up in the flag and you know just the way he's dressed kind of like a Version of Don King or something. A ridiculous character. But,
3: uh, <laughs> Don <laughs> King's America, you know. But, uh, it was supposed to be Andrew Jackson, wasn't it, or a likeness of it? Yeah, he does. It does look a little like Andrew
1: Jackson. But I, and Andrew Jackson, you know, Andrew Jackson was. A, I, I like a lot of things about him. He was. I, it's hard hard to pin him down because you know he was a big war miner. He loved war, loved to kill Indians, especially. You know, There's no question about that. He did. Uh, but he hated the banks. And he had a lot of populism in him, you know. He let the common riffraff come to his uh, his inauguration party. Never, never happened before. It never happened again because they pretty much trashed the White House. <laughs> <laughs> they had their mud, muddy, muddy boots tracked them all over the expensive carpets, and they knocked over some punch, spilled some punch or something. So uh, they said, "Never again." You know, we're not going to allow that again. But uh, he is—he is, he does kind of look like kind of raw and lean and dirt-looking, uh, but. Um, Certainly the Uncle Sam character, that's not what it was about. Of course, it was, you know, one of the many things Lincoln did that he said the he drafted, when he drafted, you know, had conscription for the uh, the uh, Northerners. And, uh, and, of course, the, the South did it, too. The Confederates had a draft as well. But that was something that, again, people like uh, Jefferson, you, you read his, read what Thomas Jefferson said. I'll have a lot of that disagree. What he said about a standing army, and he wasn't alone. They would not, the founders would not have reckoned, certainly something like a Pentagon, a military industrial complex. They would, what? But they didn't want, uh, they didn't want the standing army, navy and all this. They, they, they didn't envision that. They, they wanted, a, you know, a well-armed local militias. That's what they, that's what thought you needed. They didn't think that they needed these professional type soldiers and everything. But uh, we, we obviously went way far away from what the founders' original was. It could be pretty obvious. Yeah, James
3: Madison said that uh, a republic could not survive in a state of perpetual war. And yeah. that's what we've been in, in a, pretty much a state of perpetual, at least in the modern age, really. I mean, if you go back right. and, and post civil war, we had pretty much a, had a, a almost a four decade break uh, from constant warfare, because I think it was just so costly. The American civil war, you know, 600,000 dead and just right. estimated right. South. And, they also had decoration day, which that turned into Memorial Day. I forgot to mention that on the last show. Um yeah. but that's what they used to go to the graves and decorate them and commemorate the fallen, and that kept people out. And of course, uh William McKinley was a Civil War veteran. He didn't want to go yes. and do the Spanish American War, but they finally pushed him into it. And yes. then after that, we just got war after war after war. You got World War Two and, and and World War One and World War Two, all that into Spanish American War. Just all that's a it sets the stage for the twentieth century, which it's constant warfare and then the constitution yeah. thrown under the bus
1: right and it just it, americans just seem to never i mean just look at the nation like and again i'm not saying that they're any different but look at a nation like canada has canada ever been to war i, I don't I, mean, I can't imagine what a society might be. of course they, well, they're, they're a bunch of sissies or whatever okay well no, they got
3: a great military i've worked with their military
1: uh, really okay yeah well they i mean they ought to be well rested know <laughs> yeah. <ready to> because
3: <laughs> uh, I worked with them in Afghanistan. um They were the only ones that could get the showers working, and then I'm, I'm glad I used right. theirs because later it was Brown and Root came along and killed soldiers. You know that it was our. Oh,
1: bro, you know, Brown, Brown and Root. They go that Brown and Root goes back to LBJ. I think it that's
3: wasn't right. Brown and Root.
1: Help yeah, That's it. That's a, yeah.
3: you know. Kellogg, I might... <laughs> Kellogg, KBR Kellogg Brown and Root, and then they came in and built those defective. At least that's what I remember. Anyway, it's the stories I've read and. Yeah, people got hurt. Some of the the Canadians, they did did well um, in Afghanistan. That's my memory.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's what my criticism of the military has been as well, is that if uh, the least I think you could expect of this military-industrial complex is that uh, if if you have to get involved in these wars all the time, you think that you could win them really quickly. But uh, that's obviously not the goal. The goal isn't to win them. You know, no, they're, they're, when we talk about the the, the right wingers started. Yeah, I mean the, I think the Korea, you know, is the first example that were the the right wingers and then you know MacArthur we talked about these no win wars and uh that was the first no-win war. Yeah. Whereas and he, yeah. why are what? You know, why are we there? You know, and then MacArthur actually tried to win it and Truman fired him. He's like, Well, you know, he's a professional soldier, you know.
3: He he wanted to drop seventy atomic weapons on mainland China and litter the Yalu River with nuclear waste. <laughs> I mean that he was like, this is the opening round, and Truman says, "I want to be the closing round." And he's like, "But you, they they just didn't." I mean, somebody like a MacArthur, and by the way, MacArthur on his in his older years, I don't know if you know this, Don, um, but he wanted to outlaw all war. Like he wanted yes. in the constitutions of he wanted the Soviet Union and America to come to big a. A big summit and literally outlaw. I don't know that that's possible, but he detested it at the end of his life, which I found highly interesting. He begged uh LBJ to stay out of Vietnam on his death. Yeah, pit. well,
1: M- MacArthur was uh, he, he's kind of like Andrew Jackson, uh, where a very complex character, uh, you know, he got his start with first thing I knew about him was when he had a young general Patton, George Patton, uh, they were the ones who led the assault, and it was an yeah. assault on bonus army you know the world war one veterans that were had gathered uh, because they had not gotten the bonuses they've been promised from serving in this senseless absurd you know pointless world war one and uh they overran them i think killed a few people but they uh yeah killed a child and uh but then you know arthur uh and certainly in the philippines and everything i, I don't but arthur was a real soldier but he wanted to win Korea and, he, and he, obviously uh that wasn't going to happen. And then he very famously, uh, I think before he talked to LBJ, uh, he consulted with um with JFK. And I don't know how, how instrumental he was in JFK's thinking of it, because JFK was going to withdraw from He definitely told him, you know, you don't want to get a land. it's it's you know really a madness getting the land war there. And most importantly, uh FDR, you know, when before FDR administration killed Huey Long, and I think they pretty much did, uh, they they considered Huey Long one of the two most dangerous men in America, and the other most dangerous man to FDR was Douglas MacArthur.
3: Yes, you got he to was call a call. Good...
1: Okay,
3: please, of you're on the air with Don Jeffries. Go ahead.
4: Uh, g'day, Don. G'day, Tony. Uh, ben from Australia, mate. Right? Uh, really. Oh, right. Right. Thank you, uh, Tony. I want to commend you, mate, for helping Don organize everything, getting his website and all that up, mate. You've done a top notch yes. job with that. And it's, a, it's a pleasure watching you guys on a Saturday morning. Thank What's you. perfectly for me, mate. I wake up and I get this great information. Richard Gage, mm-hmm. we, we all know who he is and what he's been doing, and it's remarkable. I, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, the, the world changed drastically from 9 11 the war on terror wouldn't have happened but for 9-11. So it's almost like 9-11 had to happen for them to kick off their $3 trillion scam of the war on terror. And uh, the millions of lives lost, uh, military industrial complex, sold a hell of a lot of weaponry, shirt off, put the body scanners in airports around the country. That's gone global. So there's, there's bigger things. At work here, I, I think, and yeah, I just appreciate your guys' perspective on it all because it allows me to gain further understanding and to uh, get it out what the newspaper told me and listen to what guys that actually understand the situation. Uh, Donald, you wrote a best history, mate. So you're revealing it every week. Good on you.
3: Thank, thank you for calling in, Ben. I appreciate that. I uh, you know Don yeah, does. Austra- Australian Ben,
1: yeah, that, that, that Ben is. Uh, uh... Ben's great. And he, yeah, he's got me on some show Saturday night. I think I'm going to be on a show that he uh, recommended. So be, I know he'll be listening. And then, so Ben's a great supporter. And it's, it's so cool. And he, Ben's not the only, I think it was Jonathan Hale. Is it too? There was a, or William Hill. There's, I gotta forget. I can't, he, that has been chatting quite a bit. It's another one from Australia. So it's uh, it's very cool to realize that uh, people uh, from the, uh, from the land down under, if you believe the round earth theory. <laughs> people are hanging, hanging with their feet. I don't know how they're saying. <laughs> I appreciate you under those circumstances listening. That's 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 pretty incredible. But um yeah, it's it's so it's these things are you know, just you look at somebody like MacArthur. I mean, look, look how how MacArthur's career is connected to so many things, from the bonus army to uh being considered right in the Category of Huey Long as being dangerous to FDR, to the Korean War, to you know telling JFK you don't get in a land war. So and that's uh, you know I, I I remember somebody told me that like uh, if you're eighty some years alive, if you're if you're eighty, let's see, 80 years old today, basically that would mean that uh, you, you you basically three if you you'd lived three lifetimes since the the American Revolution or something, you know time. It's amazing the connections we have. Like when I was a, a little kid, uh, there were still a few straggly Civil War veterans. I never met them. But I, I, and they're certainly – I think the last Civil War widow didn't die until like I don't know, five or ten years ago or something because a lot of those guys would uh, – they'd be 80, 90 years old and they'd marry an 18-year-old girl and she'd marry him for their pension. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> uh, you know, so history. There's there's a lot of connections, and and, and I think I, I've tried. I need to get a hold of him. I think John Tyler, John Tyler, who was president in like the 1840s. His grandson is still alive today. I've seen that. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's. Uh, I mean, how? I, I mean, it's incredible to think that. So I, uh, and I know that uh, their father, I guess, fun he was. Uh, and I quoted him, I think, in Crimes and Cupraps. It's, you know, an unrepentant, unreconstructed southerner, I think we'd say. He, he wrote some great stuff about Lincoln. So, uh you know, these, these are the things that fascinate me. Because it, this is a completely different America. And uh, got it, I would love to know what the grandson of Tyler thinks of, of this mess of America 2.0. I mean, just.
3: Yeah, Tippy I, Canoe and Tyler, too. And I believe, uh, I think I learned this on your show. It was John Tyler was the, um, and listening to you, Don, I think John Tyler was the uh, only American president whose coffin was draped in a Confederate flag because he sided with the South.
1: Yeah. yeah you, and that's another reason I guess for them to hate them and Tyler, but you know, thanks to Peter Tinkaj, He sent me some great stuff. Uh, Tyler, who was actually, uh, um, didn't look like he, he was actually, I think, originally a Whig or something, and he kind of converted later. Mm. And he had originally kind of been sympathetic to the National Bank, and he ended up vetoing it as a president. And they, they tell us that and, yeah, I, Peter's is uh, very cynical, about, uh, very uh, uh, suspicious about it, me too. I, I can't imagine that him vetoing the charter of the National Bank created the greatest, the largest protest ever outside the White House. That's what we're told. Historians tell us that the public was so incensed that, the, that he vetoed the national bank that they burned him in effigy, and uh they were his party repudiated him. I have all that stuff in hidden history three. So it's it's that's the you know potential of hidden history. People don't know that, and I some of this stuff I didn't know. And thanks to Chris and Peter and Bob Wilson, uh, they fed me a lot of information I didn't know. Like when I was writing crimes and cover ups. I learned along with everybody else, and I think I'm the only one talking about it. That when you hear that you're know, yelling "fire in a crowded theater," and, and so far no one's been able to respond, respond to it rationally. But whenever I thought was, it's was like, you know, you do, you do know where that came from, right? That was that was Oliver Wendell Holmes. He came up with that phrase to justify Woodrow Wilson throwing uh, World War One protesters in jail. So, however you look at it, those protesters were not yelling "fire in a crowded theater." But that's the that's the analogy he drew. So that it should have worried, you know, almost everyone in America at that time when he did that. Wait a minute. What are you, what are you talking about? You're, you're 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 drawing a comparison between yelling fire in a crowded theater and somebody protesting a war. But that's exactly what they did. And they put that giant asterisk there. And nobody but me, the platform I have, nobody is talking about it because I don't I don't think. One tenth of one percent of Americans know that I didn't know it. So if I didn't know it, as much history as I've read, I know that the average American doesn't. But I've told that to everybody, and other than people like Jeff Rents, and uh, didn't know either. You know, they're, they're amazed at it generally, and the, you know, people that listen to me are. But the average person, they just give you that blank look, trying to trying to tell them how the average loan is made under fractional under oh. fractional lending is like, huh? <laughs> That's, uh... No, they were they. Re- they really don't have to have the money, you know, and they just give you that because they can't conceive of that. They so said that would be like, you know, again, wouldn't well, you love to be able to lend money? You, know, that you don't have.
3: I'm wearing my silver dollar shirt today, uh, my Morgan silver dollar T-shirt. And I, I was talking about this <laughs> in my show. I was like people don't understand. And even I don't claim to be an expert, but I deal in gold and silver. And I read I read all, I read every book I can get my hands on on the, on the subject of metals and, and uh, hard money and everything else and currency. <laughs> you can't pay off our national debt because in order to pay it off, you'd have to create more currency. That's the way they set it up. <laughs> it's literally a snake. that eats, And there's there's no way it's, it's into yeah. infinity. Right. They, there's no way to get out of it. You'd have to stop the whole thing. Right. And they, they designed it that way. It's it's right. it's a perpetuating Ponzi scheme. Uh, that and again you can everything that are it's wrong with our history, wrong with our reality, wrong with our, our politics, it all goes back to that. I and mean, you I'm glad you're yeah. you're taking that on too, Don. You to explain people like, you know, when you swipe your credit card, currency is created. When you take on yeah. a home loan, currency, they they make it up. And then they loan it right. to you and say pay back the interest. And if something happens, they still get the asset. It's literally, I mean, it's all stacked against the average person. But we kind of well, look at it, you know, it's magical it's as magical. Well. incredible. And that's why,
1: I've, and I've tried to argue with people, and they, well, oh, you gotta pay. You, didn't, you didn't pay your debts. I said, do you understand the debt was phony to begin with? It's not like your friend lent you fifty dollars, and then yeah, you are a deadbeat if you never pay it back. Uh, and that's it. That's being, uh, you know, irresponsible. But if you borrow, uh, you know, two hundred thousand dollars from a bank to buy a house, well, it's it way back in the day. It gets five hundred thousand now. The bank it used to have to have ten percent reserves on hand. I don't think they have to have any reserves now. So it's 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 not ninety percent out of that thin air. It's a hundred percent. So 100%. just imagine if, if you know somebody wants to borrow a hundred bucks from you, and you know you, you don't have a you know you're, you're flat broke. Sure, I'll lend you a hundred bucks. Let me write you a check. I have nothing to back it up, but I'll lend you. That's what a bank does every time. So, whatever they create a loan like that, that's why it incenses me when they foreclose on people. They're doing it because if you make one payment to these parasites, they've come out ahead, yep. and then they're charging you imaginary. You, you talked about the principal. Of course, you can't collect the principal. How are you going to collect the imaginary interest? And they're charging interest on money they never had. You know, I'll lend you a hundred bucks that I don't have, and I'm also going to charge you ten percent interest. What? I mean, the nerve of these people! And this is, you know, the Catholic Church that I grew up in. They used to consider usury, you know, lending money at excessive rates of interest, or maybe some people define it as just lending money at interest at oh, all, the interest on it, as a mortal sin. Uh, you had, had papal decrees against it, by uh, papal encyclicals, you know, that uh, talking about how what terrible thing it was. I don't think the Catholic Church feels that way now. They probably engage in it themselves, but the Vatican Bank, you know, they used to have that guy Parmoncellis, the uh, the mobster from Chicago that was <laughs> that probably helped kill Pope John Paul the First. Somebody killed him. <laughs> he definitely didn't, didn't die under natural circumstances. And That's the problem is you know the, everything's corrupt, and you try to you, you try to look around for a good guy, and they're they're not around. But uh, if if we can understand the banking system, that's why it was so important. And uh, you don't hear too much about Rand Paul or Bernie Sanders coming together to try to audit the, the Fed anymore. That was a big thing. And, of course, Trump, one of his many broken promises, we're, we're going to audit the Fed. You know, nothing. Nothing happened. And uh, just trying to open that up, although I don't know, Tony, I've, I nothing. It's impossible to shock the American people because they have no tipping point and they just don't care. So. If you see what I know, we would see probably if you if you open up the Fed, they had a, a partial audit some years ago, thanks to Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders, and it exposed trillions in you know a, a graft and uh, you know, improper things with corporations and banks all over the world. So I can't imagine what a, a full audit would show, but I don't. Again, I don't. I don't think the American. You know, all you need to know is Elizabeth Warren, the great foe of the bankers, Pocahontas herself. She voted against auditing the Fed, and she came up with explanation. I think I quoted one of my books. It was like, you know, it was like, a, it was an explanation that turned logic on its ear. That you know, this is a woman who hates the banks and talks about the banks, but uh, we don't want to audit the Fed. You know, the heart of this criminal banking system. It's uh, it's just amazing.
3: Well, it's all an act. It's just if you're not if you're not interested in auditing the Fed, then none of your politics really matter.
1: No, it, 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 and that's. I don't know how anybody could not, if if Huey Long was around today, my boy, my hero, he would, he was, and he was already in the 1930s. The Fed was relatively new. And, you know, some people early on suspected, okay, maybe they had something to do with that stock market collapse. Uh, But they didn't really understand how bad the Federal Reserve was yet. It hadn't been around long enough. But Huey Long knew. He was one of the first critics of the Fed. And I guarantee you, if he was around today and he had to share our wealth movement, if he started it up again, the first thing he would be saying, we need to audit that Fed and then abolish it. But first, let's audit and show how bad it is. And then we need to uh, audit all the foundations, the Tax free Foundation, because we don't know how much wealth is in the Gates Foundation, what wealth is in the Clinton Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation for International Peace, which has been advocating for war, as I showed in Crimes and Cover-Ups, since World War One. Yep. There's an organization called the <laughs> the, uh, the the Endowment for International Peace that persistently pushes war. <laughs> Let's see what's there. How much the untold wealth? It's tax free, untaxed. You want to talk about a tax base? You know, you're talking to the guy that's making eight dollars an hour. Oh, you know, he's not paying any taxes. You got to tax him more. <laughs> I'll pay your fair share. Pay your fair share. So how about this fair the tax
4: free?
3: I like I like they asked Ron Paul, is like 50% of, them, of Americans don't pay taxes. And he says, Good, we're halfway there. You know, yeah, like, <laughs> exactly right. Well, <laughs> and as I, I, and, and I've always, I've tried to say, you know, Rush
1: Limbaugh used to say that, you know, I said, Well, yeah, do you say the other side of the coin that, uh, you know, what percentage of income the people that are paying taxes have? You know, to pay income taxes, you need to have an income. And the people at the bottom have such a little income that the way the taxes is, wise, well, they, they overpaid or they get a refund or whatever they do. They have withholding taxes taken out, and they pay sales taxes. They probably don't own any property. at This, day. you know, one thing I'm amazed at, Tony, is like just knowing, like uh, like some of my son's young friends and so forth, people I know that are younger that work at these, pay okay, very much. I'm amazed at how the percentage i'd like to know what the percentage of young people today that own an automobile as opposed to when i was young because almost, you. almost i mean I, it has to be significantly lower when i when i would see you know blue collar worker pulling these thousand pound carts around you know with a, a very diverse group you know, getting my perspective keeping it real and getting my perspective down in the trenches hating the man uh I, I, maybe a couple maybe rode the bus, but, you know, 90, 99% of the people I knew, no matter where they were, housekeeping, mopping floors, I mean, most of these guys had a car and they could afford transportation. Now, they don't. And the, the bus, we don't, because, you know, that's one of the liberal dreams that, again, pay enough taxes for a nice mass transit system. We don't have it. Uh, we have nothing like that. We, we, are, we have a crappy bus system where it, does, it doesn't go everywhere. So people that work, I have a young friend that uh, he was working at a bowling alley for a while and he used to have to walk like two miles to work or take an Uber because there were no bus stops. So, and you take an Uber and it's going to be a minimum of probably 15, 20 bucks. And if you're only making you know, 70, 80 bucks during the shift.
3: Half your day. What yeah, half your day. Right, Uber.
1: just, yeah, just for that. And, and And just because he can't afford a car, it really limits where you can work, doesn't it? Because you have to you have to be within walking distance or so it's uh it's an awful situation. And we we that just didn't exist back then. And I I and and again when I was working it wasn't as good as it had been 10, 15 years before. It was even better then, because the wages were higher in terms of uh cost of living. And uh, when I was a little kid, I you know most of the I mean I don't I don't really know. Fathers, of course, because almost no mothers worked back then. But I, I didn't really know what fathers did for a living, really. They, but uh, every they had but somehow they had homes, they had they had cars, they had as many kids as they wanted. They had nice big Catholic families, you know. I would have loved to have, have done that. And um, they the mothers never worked. And these these fathers worked in uh, back when uh, grocery stores had strong unions. Safeway, the National Tendermint. People like that, uh, they had a strong union. So to be a cashier at a grocery store back then was a great job, great benefits. And I, I use this example all the time. I know a guy, uh, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I use this example in Survival of the Riches. He was a cashier at Safeway back in the early 80s. And he was making, I think, $17 an hour then, which would be equivalent in today's dollars to $112,000 a year as a cashier. Same job, same company, makes $10 or less an hour now. An and, you know, they tell you, well, you know, if you, if you do that, your Big Mac's going to cut. well, you know, okay, what is the product? What's the cost of food in the early 80s as opposed to now? So how could they afford to pay them that much more then than they do now when the product is so much higher now? It's, it's pretty obvious that the people at the top are taking all the uh, – and they're not paying – and that's why, again, that's what, and that's the kind of stuff the left should concentrate on, but you don't see anybody no. on the left talking about that. It's it's not, you know, Bernie Sanders might say a fair living wage, but, you know, okay, and that's true. But back then, I guess that's what you would call it, is a living wage. But those jobs, you not only had the factories, which were still there, and, and those people still exist. Not everybody can get a college education, especially today when it costs so much and it's largely worthless.
3: They always so, talk you know, about increasing wages, but they never have they never they're never on the side of actually doing something about it which is bizarre no, like do to give people a little page? I'm like well do you support NAFTA? <laughs> of course
2: I do. I want people to, I'm like well, NAFTA kills
3: the, the giant sucking sound. I mean you know, it's funny because I yeah. I read a book years and years and years ago and it was uh Pat Buchanan it's called uh, the Great Betrayal and it was his book on free trade which is a great book and this is like late yeah. 90s and yeah. it, I, the first time I looked in it and there was a graph and it shows the graph of corporate revenue after nafta and it was like it, it, so it was pre-nafta and then wages are in corporate revenue about the same and then it shows a giant spike and it's this corporate revenue goes up with free trade right and uh, wages and american uh, earnings go down and so right. these, these two things are going in opposite directions in our again our political class is never going to talk about it. they never have any solutions that are going to for this problem. And I'm like, what are you going to force corporations to pay? You don't, again, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. They, uh, they use these for, and uh, they're not even talking about it anymore though, Don. I mean, have no, you heard anybody don't. talk about economic issues anymore? No. And that's, and that's why, that's why it was so, it's so refreshing.
1: to know, somebody like Naomi Wolf, Cynthia McKinney and Cindy Sheehan. Um, these are people that I've all gotten to know. And they're, and that's what's, that's what the left is now. That's where I, I feel like I belong. Those are my kindred spirits, but they do care about that stuff. They care about it all for peace. They hate the war state. They they understand about the disparity of wealth and how working class, I mean, anything else you want to talk about economics makes no sense until you address the central point that you can't have half your country or more now being paid so little that they have none of they don't have any stake in America. Most people, I mean I I have a little bit of stake in the stock market for my 401k and I sit and watch every day cry over how much money I'm losing. I don't even want to know. But but um, but there are people that never get to have that pleasure of losing money in the stock market. I think it's something like 90% of the stocks is owned by 10% or are owned by 10% of the people. So it's so for the vast majority of Americans, it doesn't matter if the stock market collapses, they're not going to feel any effect from it at all. It's people like us that have something in, sake in it. And uh, what's left, because we're, you know, I'm, I'm what's left of the middle class. And there are not many of so us. You and I, are you know, we're, we're, we're holding on by our fingernails because we're being squeezed out. You know, there's parasitic elite at the top. And the casino economy that I've talked about, the 80-20 rule, where 20% win, but 80% have to lose, so that 20% can win. And that's what we're happening. And they're squeezing out that the bottom 50% we know have nothing. I you know, cited the statistics. They have less than 1% of the collective wealth total, uh, collectively. And that was before the influx of immigration, just since Biden became president alone, because they're entering at the very bottom. So we're just bringing in more of the poorest people that we can find to add to that bottom that has nothing. So they're not, they're, there's no wealth there at all. So half the, more than half the country now. Has absolutely nothing, and the, the, the ones at the very top have this unimaginable amount. They're getting more all the time. So what's being squeezed out? The 20% at the top, 50% at bottom. So there's like 30% in the middle. That's what's left of the middle class. Yeah, you, I saw squeezed. a report that came out that's being um... pushed up, because most of it's in that.
3: I saw a report on zero hedge, Don, uh, in that same, uh, line of logic, there was 36% of people making, uh, making around 200 to 250,000 a year, 36% of those people are living paycheck to paycheck. And that's because they, again, they're, <laughs> they're getting the American dream, got the home, got the car and that things cost more, right? So that your dollar buys less. And we think yeah. of that as a lot of money because I mean, it yeah. should be but it's really not in it. The purchasing power is waning. I think that's really what the story was. I mean, people are trying to figure out what the mystery, why are you living paycheck to paycheck? It's because you can buy your, right. your leverage to a certain amount and then you buy less. And so that becomes paycheck to paycheck.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, and the, the, the thing of keeping up with the Joneses is a real thing. When you move into, I mean, I saw it when we moved from a townhouse development into a nice single family home development, the expectations were different look around you and you see you can't especially when you have kids you want them to to have the same stuff that every all their other their friends have their peers have i mean there's a lot of pressure there and and uh just, just things like you know lawn care you got to take better care of your lawn cuz everybody else is they're going to look at you like you know <laughs> up put this jeffries guy over here i mean it's conspiracy theories now it's wild overgrown lawn you know so yeah you, you got to be cool about that and uh but it's I just, I, I don't, obviously, I'm not a socialist, but you know, even though Huey Long's my hero, you know, just to let everybody know, when Huey Long died, the socialists and the communists raked him over the coals. They still hate him. They absolutely hate him because he actually did something. Yeah. He's the only man, as I wrote in my article today, as far as I know, he's the only politician. John F. Kennedy tried to do some things, very small things compared to what Huey Long was doing. But Huey Long actually had results. He, there was a tangible result for people in Louisiana. They paid a finite, a, a noticeable amount less every month in utility costs. Taxes, because he eliminated property taxes for everybody but the very wealthy. Stopped foreclosures completely. And the infrastructure went from a swamp to you know, the talk of the country. I mean, he, he paved the entire state. He, gave them, he even did things like uh, he, he made it that, uh, that uh, back when, of course, this is when phone, pay phones existed. Um, phone, the phone booths in Louisiana always cost less than anywhere else in the country. Huey, I think they were—you know—he made it so that they were always going to be five cents less or something. So just little stuff like that. Huey was a man of the people. He actually produced something. We haven't seen anybody do it since then. So we had the people like Bernie Sanders and people like that that kind of have some of that rhetoric. They don't—they don't produce anything. What is—I mean, you see, well, fifteen-dollar minimum wage—that I mean, goes nowhere. And it's it, not talking about the other end. He just kind of uh, vaguely talks about wealth. But let's, let's talk about uh, those foundations, the tax-free foundations. But the left today doesn't care about that because the people that run those foundations are all woke. As long as the foundations and the corporations say the right things, they say, oh, yeah, transgender power, baby. You know, as long as they say that stuff, hey, you don't have to pay any taxes. <laughs> get it. We don't care about you. We about Trump's tax returns. They're still talking about that because he's not saying that stuff. And uh, it's 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 a shame. And that's why the left can't really talk about corporate America anymore. The, the old left hated you know they hated you know the corporate. Not now because the corporations are now they're not run by conservatives. No, they're run by they're run by woke activists. So, you know, it's, it's, it's
3: uh, I mean, they're willing to forego profit. Which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's antithetical to everything the, the left, uh, suppo- the, I know I'm, I'm talking about the, what I perceived as the left growing up, I don't know where they went, but it was like anti corporation right. people, you know, and they're made, they're just right. all they care about is profits. And I'm like, well, they don't care about profits. Right. Now they give it up, uh, right. pulling out of right. Russia, you know, losing money to be woke. Look at Disney billion yeah, and they keep doing it. Netflix, all these, I mean, they just, they lose money. So it's not about profit
1: yeah exactly and that's and that's and so it, it is it isn't that as long as uh and that's why i think they don't care like somebody like uh a bono let's say if somebody like bono this alleged rock star two guy. But then again i admit I, you know, i'm prejudiced against him sorry maybe, maybe he's a great musician i don't know i can't listen to his music because he's just so pretentious and i think south park got it right in that episode where they had him as a literal piece of crap you know he he <laughs> He, he, he runs this, uh, this, this this one foundation, and it's, it's accurately named one because they give just over 1% of donations to active causes. If that was a – let's say that was Donald Trump Jr. that had a foundation that was only giving 1%. I mean, I, I think they would look at him – the same media would look at him differently because they would hate the idea of who he was. But in both cases, it would be the same thing. They're taking your money. They're paying huge overhead to people that don't need the money, that are supposed to be there out of the goodness of their heart. And the money you're donating is not going. You get to the Red Cross, things like that. And I I talked about that in Hidden History and Survival of the Richest, both. All these charities, they take your money and it doesn't go to the causes. It doesn't. Instead, their CEO is making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Elizabeth Dole was the head of the Red Cross and she had to be shamed. Not taking a couple hundred thousand dollars salary, but as I talked about in *Survival of the Riches, even that was a, was a scam because they just they just funneled something else to her, or something. so she still got something out of it. And these these are despicable people, and uh, but the left, and that's why the left should be out there to hold the feet to the fire. And you can see what a good leftist can do. Somebody like Naomi Wolf, we're still doing good on this. Uh, well, we're probably going to get a strike anyhow on, on the you know what issue <laughs> that's going on. <laughs> In case anybody's listening. But, um, you know, I think she still still believes in free speech, the civil libertarian I think the people on the left, they obviously, if they ever held those uh, values, they don't now. Because and we see the great Billy Ray Valentine in the chat room. (laughs) That's absolutely true. Well, pretty much everything we say is true. Billy, come on. But. of course, we'll be talking with him just, uh, oh, God, it's not, not, not long from now, tomorrow at noon on American Plug, the same, these exact same platforms. But um, I don't know. So that's, um, figure out what to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> because I talk about so much stuff in here, it, but uh, it's, uh, it, it never, it, it's nice that we have so much to talk about. It's a good time to have shows like this because we never run out of material. And Paul Bill Fellow, that's who I recognize from uh, Facebook. Good to see you here. Rand Paul's partial truth, but he's afraid. Well, you know, and that's the problem. You have Ron Ron Paul, I I was shocked when he wrote the foreword to my book, because obviously my book is all about conspiracies, and he kind of shies away from that typically. So maybe now that he's retired, he thinks he can do it, but you're right. His his son Rand, and and that's about as good as we get in the Senate, but he's not going to say Oswald didn't do it. And he's not going to say you know, was it 9/11 was an inside job, and that's and Tucker Carlson, to a lesser degree, has some. He talks about truth a lot, but he's you know he thinks 9/11 truthers are kooky. I think he thinks Oswald still good. it. I, I I don't know how these guys you know dance a, a tightrope like that, but uh, of course you know they're all everybody says they're all controlled, and they, and they probably are. What we got to take from certainly nothing. You're not going to get the the kind of truth on uh, you know. Like this or uh, anything else, pretty much. Uh, rock We're almost.
3: I always mm-hmm. feel like, uh, as far as anybody sticking up for us, it's like the end of idiocracy when they roll out that car. He's supposed to do battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Big uh, fixture on the front end. You guys can go look at the movie, but that's yeah. what that was. He's was supposed to do battle with that. That's how I feel about us. You know, like we we have these. Mm-hmm one or two and then it's just um well, we, but, hit,
1: we, uh, hit the absolute, we hit the we hit the idiocracy about 500 years early when's the idiocracy supposed
3: to be 500 years in the future <laughs> documentary yeah A documentary. the preview right um, yeah it,
1: it, it absolutely and uh friendly speaking talks about rand was almost killed by his neighbor to the clintons do it I, I and you know again the left yeah, this is the new heartless woke left. They they laugh. They still laugh about that. It's like, you know, how do you, how do you? I mean, I would I wouldn't celebrate if Mitch McConnell was acted assaulted by his neighbor. I mean, you know, I don't think I would anyhow. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's just that's just reprehensible. But that's them now. But anyhow, so we're just about out of time, I guess. So we we'll get off the air here. But uh, I appreciate everybody. In county always. Always great having you on. It's a, it's such a relaxed atmosphere. I really appreciate everything you do. And thanks for setting up my website, which is out there now, Media. Nice. So you can check out Substack and all my other stuff there, my old blog archives. I told my blog this week that I'm transitioning over there, but you can still go there and uh, check out things. I, I realized that it's like eight years old. <laughs> going back. Tons and tons of articles. You want to check out what I had to say uh, about things before. And uh, obviously now we're going to to Substack, but I uh I appreciate everything. I appreciate all the listeners, especially the people listening on the uh the bottom of the world, as it were, in Australia and places like that. Thanks so much for everybody participating. And uh we'll see you next time, next week, same time on iProtest.
3: See you guys.